Little known fact, the actual, in French, the title of this track is Milu. Okay, that was gonna, that's, a, that's a Tintin joke that maybe seven people will get. Mm. <laughs> Never mind, keep going. I don't know that joke. The Adventures of Tintin? No one likes Tintin? Okay. I, I love Tintin. I haven't watched it in years. The name of the dog is Milu in, uh, in French. Oh. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to episode 70 of Rhythm Encounter. I am John O'Logan, and I hope that you've been practicing for at least a half hour every single day, because this is going to be a piano lesson that you are never going to forget. Uh, yes, we are doing our piano episode of Rhythm Encounter, finally. Super, super exciting, because piano is such a foundational instrument, but we're going to be getting into that. But first, let me introduce the panel. So we have uh, three people on today, and they are all bringing some of their favorite piano music to the episode. We have Caleb Curry, who was last on Rhythm with me for Bravely New World. Uh, Caleb, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you guys? I think we're okay. Um, at least I'm going to speak for everyone and say okay, because we're about <laughs> to ask them. We're having our, uh, our returning champion of Rhythm Encounter, and uh, a gentleman who has literally written hundreds of music reviews for RPG Fan. Patrick Gann. Hey, everybody. And making their very first appearance on Rhythm Encounter, although we have had them on uh, some other, you know, other podcasts, some lesser podcasts, uh, like Random Encounter. Uh, Pete, leave it. Well, hello. Hello. So yeah, uh, we're talking about piano today, piano music specifically. Uh, mostly when you think RPGs, you think like grand orchestral scores, or at the very least, boops and beeps that are trying to be grand or orchestral scores. But piano is uh, piano arrangements are very, very popular with albums. As a music theater performer, uh, piano was always uh, foundational to everything that I did. Because when you watch a full-scale musical, yeah, you're looking, there's an orchestra, there's uh, it's big, it's grand. But you learn the music sitting at a piano with uh, some incredible accompanists and music directors. And I've always found it incredibly stunning what a, uh, what a musician, what a trained musician can do with a piano. Uh, unlike many instruments, pianos actually allow you to play multiple layers of harmony on it. You can play complete chords. The melody can be on top and the accompaniment can be on the bottom, which makes it a tremendously versatile instrument uh, when you are playing something. It's also the very first instrument that many musicians learn. Possibly because, like, with a, a trumpet or a, a wind instrument, like, you, you're kind of, it, it's very difficult to see the notes. But in piano, it's literally in black and white right in front of you. Playing a third or a fifth is easy when you can literally put your fingers on the first note and the third note or the fifth note. I took 15 years of piano. Uh, I, honest to God, could not play something if I tried. Uh, I was a terrible piano student, but it did teach me music theory, which comes in handy for being a vocalist. Um, I'm curious, just before we jump in, what's everyone's background with uh, piano? Uh, Patrick, how about you? Like, do you uh, do you have any background with playing the piano, tickling the ivories? I have a Bandcamp page with a, I think about 150 piano solo pieces recorded that I've written since 2001, mostly dedicated to individuals. I started playing piano when I was in second grade, and um, I've also been keenly searching after uh, piano ar arrangements of video game music. Since I was in my teens, both the, uh, you know, the arranged albums and also sheet music. So, yeah, it's a big thing for me. So presumably you did practice for more than a half hour a day. Uh, yes, significantly <laughs> more. Yeah. Well, see, that's the difference between you and me. I, I was lucky if I got five minutes in. Yeah, I can play 
four songs from what we're listening to tonight. Wow, that's actually tremendously impressive. Fantastic. I could hum you a tune. Uh, <laughs> Pete, how about you? Do you have any background with piano? It's always been around me. My, um, I have a few siblings who are um, pianists, and my my brother's actually exceptional. He is a great improviser and um, songwriter, and he's pretty inspiring to me. I... Uh, there's always music in, in my family. Thankfully, we're very, very lucky that that was the case. So I I played a few instruments, um, but not piano, really. Like my daughter is actually taking piano lessons for my brother right now. So we have one and I kind of mess around with it, but not really. Yeah. So basically, I'm better than Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. And Caleb, are you the best of all? Yes, uh, I have zero foundation in the foundational instrument. I watched a whole anime about playing piano and don't didn't learn anything. What? Uh, <laughs> my girlfriend was showing me yesterday actually how to make like a basic major chord on a piano and I was like, "Whoa." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's all to say I really like piano but I know nothing about playing it. If you can get your money back on that anime, I say pursue that. It was about the drama, not the music. Well, it was about the music and the drama, but you get what I mean. <laughs> because it's the same thing. <laughs> Well, uh, now that we have gone over our respective backgrounds or no backgrounds uh, with piano, why don't we dive right into some of this uh, some of this uh, music that we're going to be listening to today? So, I've divided everything up into blocks as per usual, and the first block is going to be cities. So these are going to be two songs that are about RPG cities. And the first song, Caleb, why don't you tell us about your first song? Yeah, of course. Um, it's pretty much a, a top five classic for everyone. It's Xanarkin from Final Fantasy X. Noboru Umatsu, yes. We've actually had this song on a previous episode of Rhythm Encounter, but we've made an exception because doing a piano episode without this song would just be insane. Got uh, to hear and, it again. Yeah. And uh, Pete, what about you? Your first pick is? Uh, my first pick is um, Mechanical Kingdom. From Radiant Historia. Yes, by Yoko Shimomura. Um, yeah, it's the song that plays in the city of Alistel in the beginning where your main character is from. So, uh, yeah, we're going to listen to these songs and we will be back with our thoughts. Thank you. 
So I think it's pretty fitting that Xanark End is the first song that you know we're starting off with because it is literally my favorite video game song of all time. You know, take away piano, take away everything. It's my favorite video game song because it was, you know, it's what I think of when I think of video game music. So this song plays in Xanarkand, which is basically uh, this culmination of the plot. It's Final Fantasy X is all about the journey. And this is, you know, quote unquote, the end of your journey. And you can kind of, you know, you can kind of hear that in the music. You know, like I said in the intro, I don't really know anything about playing piano, but, you know, I'll comment a lot on how it makes me feel which is all we want <laughs> as a as you know as a piano build you get this sense of like movement and you know that journey comes in but it's of course undercut by sadness and you know not to spoil a very old game so i won't but um it's really the perfect song to play at this part of the game because there's a deep sadness you know intertwined with the culmination of this journey as you know exciting as it is to finish that journey um and you know this is obviously more personal but i also wanted to add that just every time i hear this song it kind of transports me into my childhood basement where i had like this janky ps2 setup with cobwebs everywhere that i would only wipe away if they touched my ps2 and i would just sit and listen to the opening screen of final fantasy 10 like on repeat that's how much i love this song <laughs> that's lovely it's definitely a let the tv run and sit there for a while song i relate to that a lot mm-hmm. and yeah this whew, it's 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 almost i don't know whenever i've had that kind of experience it's almost unexpected not that it not that it's any shock in the narrative of final fantasy 10 or whatever you know what's happening but it's like ah oh, i was having so much fun with this play thing and now i just want to sit here and marinate on this emotion for a minute yeah and I, I think it's also pretty beautiful how they they use this as the opening music so you have no idea what's happening when you first hear this song so coming back to it who knows like 50 hours into the game it's a long time um and finally understanding like the melancholy of this pian- simple piano tune is like such an experience i think even more than being beautiful i think it's also incredibly smart because this was the first Final Fantasy on the PlayStation 2, uh, and it was a remarkable jump in technology. This is the first time the graphics were way, way, way more beautiful and complicated and stunning for its time period. Uh, There was voice acting, like actual people are, there's voice acting, it's mind-blowing. And in the face of all this technology and this graphical jump and this generational jump, you just have something that is very pure and beautiful and simple, and this incredible piano uh, piece and I think that contrast is perfect to make the experience of going into Final Fantasy X much less intimidating than it might otherwise uh, be for some players and then right after you play the song you hear like a little little thrash metal opening for the next scene so funny <laughs> that's actually something else that's really cool because when you play a Final Fantasy game you expect it to be the traditional Final Fantasy theme. That's usually what opens it, but it isn't in this case. Xanarkin is. But then when you go to uh, Dream Xanarkin, uh, you are hearing a uh, much more upbeat, almost futuristic version of the Final Fantasy theme. Yeah, the prelude, yeah. Which is a really, really cool uh, addition to it. And and it, that at that, that moment, you're like, oh yeah, this is a Final Fantasy game. I can hear the, <laughs> I can hear the music. I can hear the do 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 So not every Final Fantasy has its own like clear opening theme. Um, some of them very did heavily, re- they really did heavily rely on 
the Prelude, which is basically just a series of arpeggios. It's practically designed to be played for piano. And I think about that a lot. And I think this was something I discussed with Oimatsu the first time I met him. Did I name drop? Did I humble brag? Um, yes. Oh yeah, I, my eyes got bug-eyed for a second. <laughs> yeah, I specifically said the first time just to be that awful. And um, yeah, it's it's interesting that there was this sort of like, okay, we're going to have a simple, you know, very like single instrument kind of piano-based thing. And, you know, then you expand and you get bigger and crazier and you get FMVs and you get, you know, like Liberi Fatale for FF8, right? It's like, like over the top. So for 10 to go back to like, like the version we listen to is the OST version. Um, there is a piano collection arrangement, which is, it's basically the same thing. It's a little more flourished, but it's, it's, yeah, it's basically the same thing. And yeah, it's, it's basically a chord progression with a melody. It's not fully arpeggiated. Well, it's arpeggiated in six, eight instead of four, four. And it's just, um, the A section is a very, common a very traditional chord progression minor six four five one uh it changes up a lot in the b section or what we might consider the chorus um that's where it gets complicated and interesting in my opinion but like that standard six four five one chord progression is just you know once you learn it you can learn it on virtually any instrument i taught it to myself on guitar i remember when i was in college i i learned this one by ear before the piano collection was out and I went to a Christian school and I have this fond memory of I would be playing piano for our Wednesday chapel and during like a reflective or meditative time, they'd be like, all right, Patrick, just play something sweet and simple here. You better believe I was playing Xanarkin like every week. I, I, I subversively steeped my fellow moderate to liberal Christians into Final Fantasy X music as a college kid. I'm very proud of that. As you should be. As you should be. You should also know that I just made a note to self to learn Z- Xanark and on the ukulele after you said you can learn it on any instrument. <laughs> oh, there's a Final Fantasy ukulele collection which comes with sheet music, and this is on there. So I haven't reviewed it yet, but it exists. It's published in Japan, so just <laughs> so you know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really cool. And I mean, I my theory is extremely rusty because I have not looked at sheet music for like five years now, but I did look at the sheet music for uh, Xanarkin and uh, I mean, it's in a minor key. I think it's an E minor. Am I right, Patrick? Yeah. E minor slash G major. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was doing some research on it. I mean, it, minor keys generally tend to be sad, but E minor specifically is a, is a key that's used to convey grief a lot of the time. And that's very true in this particular song because you're dealing with uh titus's grief over actually not even losing his city but like discovering that he never had it in a way and uh also i think it's very funny that again it wasn't from what i've read and correct me if i'm wrong it was not originally written for final fantasy 10 it was written for in my the research i was doing it was written for a uh uh, flute recital and it just seemed to be a little bit of a downer for the recital so uh, it was repurposed and it's astounding how well it fits the overall feeling of the game yeah i think that is true and um you know like anyone who's composed who's been composing as long as Oimatsu had been composing at the time you tend to have a lot of you know basic melodies and ideas kind of in your back pocket that were unused from previous projects and yeah i guess he just pulled this out and someone went yup <laughs> I don't know if it was him or if it was like 
um, Yoshinori Kitase or someone else who worked on the game, but somebody must have heard it and gone, mm -hmm. this is what we're using. And I mean, it's surprising how well this translates into a heavy metal piece because uh, I don't know if anyone has listened to the Black Mage's cover of Xanarkin called The Skies mm -hmm. Above, but it's it's really friggin' funny. Um, it rocks, but it's hysterically funny to listen to. Just that this beautiful, serene piece becomes this kind of operatic heavy metal type thing. It's it's great. Yeah, I very much like that track. Cool. Um, so yeah, it's I find it really, really interesting that the music really does fit the destroyed version of Xanarkin. And then you go, of course, you see Xanarkin in its prime, uh, the dream version, which is this super futuristic world. And it's not really the kind of future that you usually see in an RPG. And most RPGs, uh, because it's set in a medieval world, the future tends to be like, a little bit steampunky, kind of powered by uh, powered by coal or powered by magic occasionally, and uh, that is exactly what is uh, happening in Radiant Historia. It's called in this in mechanical in mechanical kingdom. It's a it's almost a steampunky kind of kingdom. And uh, Pete, you chose this song, and tell us why do you pick it? Yeah, Alistel uh, is the city i guess um that your main character is from in radiant historia and they are very ahead of the game regarding technology and they uh employ it often in a military context so they have big power suits for their soldiers to walk around in one of your buddies is a captain in the army and he uh he has a prosthetic uh, mechanical arm to replace the arm he lost in battle and he's a member of your party throughout the whole game um, so that's the whole deal with Alistel. Uh, and Stock, the main character of Radiant Historia, is like uh, an intelligence, like a, like a secret agent type. He carries a, like a secret agent type role in the government. Um, and it's interesting walking around Alistel in the beginning of the game and hearing this song. Uh, this particular version, by the way, um, is arranged by Mark Andrews. Uh, the YouTube the YouTube page is Rigor Mortis nine nine nine, so it's like a fan arrangement. But he did a really great job with it. Uh, it really does capture all the mood of, of the original track from the original OST, anyway. Um, but as I heard uh, this song walking around this town, um, and the game takes place during a, a war, an active war uh, with the rival kingdom. It struck me, um, some of the stories I'd read about, I guess, folks in, um, like, during the, the Blitz time, like, during the Battle of Britain, and how you're still in a city, you're still people, you still live your life, but there's this constant threat of bombardment. And it's never that serious. There's not uh, an imminent threat of, like, an attack. And it would have to, you know, the, the battlefield would have to reach the city. But regardless, everyone is very aware of the war, and yet they're living their lives. And I think that kind of distant tragedy is something you can hear in the composition. It's something that there's a, there's a rhythm to it that pushes life forward. People still need to go get groceries and, you know, fall in love and... The, you know uh, visit friends or whatever else and yet life goes on yeah life goes on and yet there's this threat just outside the gate um, and you're not you're never quite sure when uh, something might go wrong and the enemy might arrive and so the that kind of melancholy is in there too uh, yeah I mean it's still in a minor key like Xanarkin but it's a very different underlying sense of melancholy it's not really loss it's more like uh, a form of almost 
I think despair might be too strong a word. Like resignation, I might say. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word for it. Yeah, I was actually on... <laughs> Pete and I actually recorded an episode about this game on Retro Encounter, so we've already talked about the music a little bit on that, but um, something I love about this song, and I think it actually comes through a little better in the piano arrangement rather than the original harp arrangement? It was a string something. Yeah, I, th- I think it's supposed to be a harp. Yeah, the original used harp, strings, woodwinds, and yeah. this is obviously piano. But especially in this piano version, it has this, you know, like we've already talked about, sense of like foreboding and fear that kind of carries throughout it. But I, I don't know, there's something about it, and I'm sure one of you can tell me why it sounds like this, but there's like this little like glimmer of hope that I can kind of hear as the song progresses. Well, there's a, there's a triumphant edge to it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of perfect based on, you know, the, the, the plot you've already given us where this member of this, you know, warring society. And, you know, you find out very quickly in the game that we're not only, you know, in the war, we're kind of instigating every part of the war from different angles. Like we are the bad guys. So, you know, being the hero raised, in that element, you know, we are that little glimmer of hope that I'm hearing trickle through the song, which I think is kind of cool. I think there's that glimmer of hope, and it, it also calls to mind to me a sort of almost jingoism. It's like there's a triumph. Because the thing about Alistair is they listen to this prophet-type character who has himself a mouthpiece because he's in very poor health. The rumors are he's dead already some people are kind of whispering that maybe he's not around anymore but he has his mouthpiece which is a general a military leader and so uh he's out there riling up the masses in support of the war effort and so i do definitely hear the little tiny like slice of triumph in it being related to a sort of exceptionalism or something like that like maybe a lot of folks in their heart of heart our heart of hearts are resigned or despairing over the war but at least outwardly or some significant percentage of them support the war effort and believe that um, your opponents are, are are evil and deserve to be subjugated by your um, you know by your kingdom and everything so it's got a I, I feel like for such a relatively simple piece it's got a lot going on all throughout it and I don't I spent a lot of time thinking about how to even explain what this song might communicate. I spent a lot of time trying to know what to say because I did find it hard to explain kind of what I feel when I listen to it. But I think this is kind of what I'm settling on personally. I think I understand where you're coming from. Incidentally, I think that well, the original version in the game, uh, it's like I said, it uses harp strings, woodwinds, uh, but more specifically, it has drums. And there is a driving un- sense underneath it, which does make it feel a little bit more military. And uh, I think one of the advantages of a piano arrangement of a song is that it strips out all of the ornamentation. It strips out everything except for the core sense of the piece. So the original version is, yeah, it, it has it has drums. It is militaristic. Whereas this version, because it's so stripped back and raw, it's like the essence of the song. And I think that's where some of the melancholy we were talking about is coming from. And you can still get that sense of the military and rah-rah, triumphant propaganda, that kind of mindset. But at the same time, you're getting to the heart of the piece. Um, and I think that's something that's incredible about this version. The uh, the gentleman who 
arranged it is on YouTube, Mark Andrews, and it was a student request apparently. And I think that they did an amazing job of arranging this uh, this particular piece. I'm going to save everything I want to say for later. I'm just going to hint at it now. I think there's an important discussion that we're going to have to have about um, sort of vanilla slash transcription arrangements and arrangements that attempt to be more dynamic. Because mm. I'm going to challenge you on what you said later, Jono. Okay. <laughs> Later, later wait, when we get to the Chrono Trigger piano duo, that's when I'll challenge you. I think that yeah, but that's doing something a little bit different. That's my point. This piece and this uh, this arrangement is a fairly straightforward uh, adaptation of the piece. It's not trying to introduce new things. It's trying it's, to teach you how to play the song on piano. You know, it's trying to teach you how to play the song on piano, and I think that uh, I think that he does a very very good job of that. Whereas pieces, as we will talk in the future. Uh, some of the other songs that are on this episode are doing something very different where it's taking the core of the song, the essence of the song, and it's going somewhere very different with it. I think we might be on the same page about this, Patrick, but I think we might be coming at it from slightly different directions. But we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, what do you think about this arrangement? I think the arrangement's great. Um, I wish that Radiant Historia had more arrangements behind it. I wish it had more notoriety, period. I feel that way about a lot of Yoko Shimomura composed games that aren't from like the sort of big name studios like Square Enix. This is the first song she composed for the game. Yes. And her ability to write music that can be sort of built up or stripped down. Um, very like, what's the word? Um, sort of like if you could have like modules that you sort of build and stack or take away. Like her music is very modular in my opinion. Um, if you look back even to like her 16-bit days and compare it to now, there's some ways in which you could say the only thing that changes the technology, she was just always this good. Um, mm -hmm. And so to me, the Mark Andrews arrangement is that reminder that you can strip it back and it's still just that good. It's a beautiful song. That's the bottom line. It's, it's beautiful and it's a very, very good arrangement. Uh, I understand it's a student request and uh, it, I think this gentleman really put us all into uh, transcribing this into an arrangement that really captures... Uh, the essence of the song, like I said, um, but let's uh, let's move on now from the city. We the city's lovely, but let's move on to something a little bit more small town. Uh, beautiful small town at night. How about so? The block number two is going to be nights. So nights in RPG. Um, and Pete, you actually have the first song in this block, and why don't you tell us what it is? Back to bat, Pete tracks. All right, uh, this is Ripples of Daydream from. Uh, a little uh, game, maybe you've heard of it, Genshin Impact. How in the hell did you manage to get Genshin Impact into this? They, you just you bring it up everywhere. Well, Genshin Impact has some of the best music around, and there's a <laughs> lot of piano in it. And as I was playing, yep. since we planned this episode up to now, I was kind of kicking myself at like 20 other songs that would have been just as perfect. But I do not regret this. This, this is one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, it, and it's composed by Yupeng Cheng. Uh, and the song after that is going to be mine, and it is going to be Field Night from the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild original soundtrack, and that is composed by uh, Manaka Kataoka. And uh, yeah, these two pieces are, I feel they, they nicely complement each other because they're both open world games. They both lean heavily on piano, but they do it in a very different way. So let's give these a listen, and we will be right back. Thank you. 
it was tough to pick a song from Genshin Impact because, first of all, it has uh, what I esteem to be some of the best music, um, uh, you know, some of the best music of just about any game that came out recently. Uh, and there's a lot of piano in it. And as I was playing it between when we were planning this episode and now, I was just hearing song after song that would have been just as perfect as the one I chose that could have been great for the for to, to showcase on this episode. But this one, I feel very comfortable with choosing because it was one of the first piano, you know, calm piano tunes that I remember hearing because it, it's uh, one of the first towns outside of the main city that you encounter. And as night falls, so as um, as night falls, the song plays and it's just gorgeous. It does wonders for atmosphere. And as if I'm remembering right, as the sun rises, there's a guitar version of it that is also really astounding. Um, but it's just, I don't know, there, it's in a, a small town and it's not a particularly bustling town, but it's also seem it also seems very quiet to represent a town, a very calm uh, song to represent a town. And so I think wh- one of the reasons why I like it so much is it's just such a heavy. It has such a heavy sense of nostalgia to it, um, as if you're returning to the town after a long time away, which you're not in the game. But it does serve the personality of the town i think yeah there's something about a small town that i think uh it doesn't really matter what small town it is but when you spend any real amount of time there you do get that sense of nostalgia it's such a short track so i mean there's not much to say but you know i mean all all the songs we're listening to today except for maybe mechanical kingdom they do have some dynamic element to them to where they'll swell near the end or whatever but i just love the kind of third act of this song and the way that it swells because it doesn't it doesn't gain in intensity much it 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 manages to swell and kind of bring another dynamic to the song without upping the energy it keeps the energy level and the energy for what the song is used for is perfect so it really is a a remarkable kind of uh feel that it has i think it's a beautiful little piece it's like you said, it's for the it's for a small town, Springvale at nighttime. Uh, Patrick did a little bit of digging, actually, and discovered something kind of cool about uh, about the composer. Yeah, I, I did a I did a fair bit of uh, digging. Uh, and so we mentioned earlier that the composer for Genshin Impact, Yu Peng Chang, does a lot of piano work in these OSTs. And it just so happens that. Um, he's not just composing, he's actually doing the piano performance himself. The credits in these soundtracks list um, the performers for the various instruments, and he is the sole credited composer for all piano work. So given that this is a piano solo track, and there are a number of them, this is uh, you know composed and self-performed work, essentially. Um, and it sounds like there's a great deal of that since Genshin Impact is piano heavy. For anyone who wants to collect this music, by the way, um, as of now, it looks like there's four like large Genshin Impact original soundtrack compilations that you know they add on and build with each set of sort of you know DLCs or updates until they've added up enough. And it looks like there's 12 or 13 hours of original content at this point. And the most recent album, uh, The Shimmering Voyage is where you can find Ripples of Daydream. It's disc 2, track 17, even though the disc is a digital entity. It's They split it up in, in you know 60-minute partitions, essentially. Yeah, I found it on Spotify. Yeah, so if anyone wants to check it out, 
this song is on the latest album, The Shimmering Voyage for Genshin Impact, and it came out in July of 2021. And uh, yeah, it's a beautiful song, and it doesn't really surprise me that to, to learn that Yu Peng Cheng is the uh, piano performer. This this tends to be fairly common. I've found, especially with the Chinese and Korean MMOs, oftentimes the composers are are pianists first and foremost, and do a lot of piano solo work on their games. I know um, Ion is another one that was very similar in that nature. Um, I can't remember the composer's name offhand. He goes by both a Japanese and a Korean name. So it's it's always interesting to see a composer that's not afraid to sort of insert themselves and do a lot of the heavy lifting. And uh, even though this is a light song, I think it takes a lot of courage to not just sit back and put the notation on some sheet music, but really sit down and perform it yourself and record it. Yeah, it's it's difficult to get a more pure vision than sitting down and playing it. And and you, Peng Cheng, from what little I've read about him, is a is a consummate professional. I mean, he composes for all kinds of you know TV shows and I think film as well mm-hmm. so he's definitely been around not surprising yeah you got to be a consummate professional to be able to uh create new music continuously for a game like genshin impact or final fantasy 14 or that kind of thing and it's nice too to to remember this about genshin impact genshin impact it's not really in the purview of this but it is having a bit of a moment right now where a lot of uh folks who play it are kind of angry at it and it's for reasons that I don't really understand. I don't wish to disparage their reasons, but there's this idea that they're being stingy with like, you know, um, currencies or whatever. But I find that if I don't, if I'm not in the mood to play Genshin Impact, I kind of will just do like the daily four commission quests. And that's me not playing the game, just doing the 10 minute little daily. And having done that many, many days out of the year that I've played it, I, um, find that the magic is still there for me and the music still rips does not get old so yeah just i don't know it's nice to celebrate it and to kind of remind anyone out there who might be caught up you know stuck in the weeds about what maybe the internet might be saying about genshin impact that you know there's plenty there there's there's a lot of magic still there. I think there's a lot of politics that are going that goes into Genshin Impact. Well, there's certainly that. What I'm referring to is different, but there is that. You're absolutely right. That's definitely a thing that is ongoing. I mean, I remember when it came out, and this is not me saying it, but I do remember when it came out, a lot of people were comparing it to Breath of the Wild uh, and saying it's a it's an anime ripoff of Breath of the Wild. And as I understand it, that is far from the truth it is a it's very much a standalone game but though there are similarities for example uh primarily using piano music in the as for the soundtrack yeah and it's cartoon graphics and you can climb on stuff so there are similarities and there it's things are being built on but it's not a ripoff by any means it's a completely original thing and one of the reasons why i think it's so original is because the music of breath of the wild is i don't think anyone in their right mind would say that the song we're about to look at is uh is melodic. Caleb, do you have anything you'd like to add to uh, Ripples of Daydream? Yeah, I I feel a little bad because I don't have anything insightful to add, but when we were first getting ready for this episode, this song was listed as unknown because we were struggling to find the title. Um, And (laughs) the only note I put in my notebook was, makes me think of Ripples of Water. So, (laughs) you know, nailed it. (laughs) Nice work. Well, there you go. You actually got the most insightful comment. Yeah, it's a beautiful tune. 
And I think that it's funny how piano is an incredible instrument that is often used to communicate and represent nature. I think it's because it is very pure and it is very simple. And uh, you don't get much more pure and simple than uh, the field night music from Breath of the Wild. So this is my track. Um, Much has been said about Breath of the Wild. I'm not going to add much to that. Um, I will say that it's amazing how iconic a piece of music can be when it is still super minimalistic. Yesterday, we were driving to Thanksgiving dinner at Amanda's parents' place, and I was putting on the piano songs uh, just to listen to, to get them in my head and everything. And the second that Amanda heard the first three notes of this, she said, oh, that's Breath of the Wild. Like instantly, it's, it's, it's iconic. The second that you hear those notes, you know exactly what it is. A lot of people when the game was first released, they were expecting a bombastic orchestral score, very similar to past Legend of Zelda games. Um, and while the Breath of the Wild does have a few tracks that are like that, certainly the field themes are very, very different to the point where it sounds like someone almost doodling on a piano, like having fragments of ideas, fragments of phrases and notes. And and uh, it, it some people say it sounds like random notes. I disagree entirely. I think it's much, much, much deeper than that. It's very sparse. It's not unlike the landscape of Hyrule itself. Uh, when you're running through Hyrule in Breath of the Wild, there are large sections where it's it, there's nothing really there. It's it's fields, it's mountains, it's it's emptiness, it's it's nature. It's it and that it, but you can see things off on the horizon. With this particular piece, I almost feel like pieces of it are missing. It's like there are little snippets of music everywhere that could become part of a larger piece. And that actually reminds me a lot of what Link's memory is like in this game, where Link has amnesia and only has fragments of memory uh, to build the story of what happened a hundred years beforehand. And it is, it's much more abstract than other Zelda pieces. Like the more traditional cohesive music is safe for specific story events and locations. Like if you want a, a good old fashioned rip roar and Zelda piece, you go to Hyrule Castle and you're going to get an amazing uh, arrangement of the Hyrule Castle theme. But here, when you're exploring, you're looking around, I think that this music is beautiful and it's perfect. It's free. It's open. Uh, this version, because it's the, it's the nighttime theme, uh, there are. It has a slightly vaguely sinister quality in some places that make things feel a little bit spooky. There's lots of sustained notes that keeps you in suspense. It starts really, really low, then it gets high, and then it goes back low again. And I found that with this piece, I never became annoyed with this or any other piece of music from Breath of the Wild because of the way it's composed. Um, what What are your thoughts on it, uh, Caleb? You know, a lot of what you said already, you kind of alluded to how it almost feels like something's missing and i i kind of feel the opposite i almost feel like when they were composing this they took like the bare you know it was minimalism like you said they took the bare minimum to convey this feeling of you know slight anxiety and dread as you would experience you know as you're traveling hyrule in the dark when you know your visibility is low enemies are more dangerous things like that so i feel like you know your partner heard those first three notes kicked kick in and then they knew exactly what it was because that's what this song is they take three notes to convey a full range of emotions which is one of my favorite things about playing breath of the wild regarding what you said about piano conveying nature i think the chaotic uh the the more chaotic compositions in breath of the wild certainly uh feed into that and um aside from the fragmented 
feel, uh, perhaps fragmented feel that you mentioned uh, and how that uh, refers to the plot. I think the slightly more helter-skelter, unexpected compositions uh, seem really almost naturalistic. And you're, I mean, you're just in nature in that game all the time. So it fits, it fits just perfectly. I mean, when you're just cruising around the forest and, you know, going from point A to point B, because, you know, famously in Breath of the Wild, one of his great triumphs is that fast travel is a little bit more limited than other open world games. That as the backing of that activity is just perfect. Patrick, what do you think? I have so much to say. I'm going to do my best to limit myself. You know, with that, that experience you had with, Amanda catching it in three notes, like you know, name that tune kind of thing. And how many notes can I name that tune in? Yeah, it's just the bum bum boom. Yep. It's, whoa. Yep. And so, what I want to say about this is that's kind of beautiful that you made that, like, brought that anecdote to us because we're talking about Zelda here, like um, Zelda, the same Zelda that with uh, a repeating pattern of two or three or four notes on an ocarina creates a magic spell or you know, move your little wind waker baton thing in the right direction a couple times. And this little thing sets off so much. And that's that was sort of the action of sort of like the magic of these two key Zelda games. And it's a, and it's a musical motif, right? Mm-hmm. But what do you do when you have this big, open, long form experience that is completely different? Uh, and I do think completely different than any Zelda before it. Um, you'd argue Wind Waker, the big open seas, kind of, but... Uh, yeah, but that's a, that's a different sort of openness. Yeah, this is... this. Yeah, Breath of the Wild is... The, Nintendo took a huge risk, and they recognized that they couldn't make music that the way that they had for the previous games uh, and still make it feel right. You can't be on all the time. You need to be able to pull back for large periods of time because if you hear the same song over and over and it's big and bombastic and in your face imagine like like we've all okay maybe not all of us but many of us have played a boatload of ocarina of time and we know what that field theme sounds like when we walk out into the overworld and if you heard that for 120 plus hours um and not just in that same small space but over what feels like literally like miles of landscape it it, it'd be a little a little too much. It'd be a little overwhelming. And so... I don't think it would work. Exactly. I don't think it would work either. And so when people say, oh, it's just random notes on a piano. No, it's not. It's very, it's very intentional, like we've said, stripping back and leaving just the pieces of something. And we could call it atmospheric music, but if we do, I do mean it in its best sense and not its worst or even its medium. It's atmospheric. It's not background music. No, it's it's not. It, it's very intentional. It does something specific. And I think it's very difficult too. Like if someone tasked me to compose um, a, an atmospheric piece, I think it might be harder for me to do that than a very like like driven theme, right? And so and and so, but to dr- to bring it all back a song that was meant to be atmospheric and sort of just like felt rather than heard over a long enough period of time becomes just as powerful to the point where um, your partner can say, hey, three notes in, I know this is from Breath of the Wild. That's mm-hmm. That says something. And there's the funny thing is there's actual, if I jump to the middle of the song and she heard like, do, 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 she also recognize it in a second and and i think there's yeah there's just something powerful about the nature of the composition in sort of the softer and atmospheric pieces of 
Breath of the Wild that, yeah, I, I just like it a great deal. And I think it deserves recognition and notoriety for it for all the same reasons that Genshin Impact deserves it. If you know how to use a piano well, you can make something very simple and very beautiful. And it, and it can be very effective for all kinds of different uh, sort of tasks in scoring a video game. Absolutely. I think that Breath of the Wild's soundtrack did something that, I think part of the reason why some people said it just, it, it just sounds like random notes, it didn't sound like any other soundtrack. It was something completely new. It wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what they were previously uh, exposed to. And because of that, instinctual reaction is often, eh, no, I don't want it. I want, I want the I want the traditional Zelda theme. But I think once you start playing the game and you see how well the overall gameplay and experience and graphics and music come together to create a cohesive feeling, that's what I love about Breath of the Wild more so than anything. It's how I felt when I was playing it. It's one of the reasons I'm so excited for the sequel. It's not that I'm super excited to like get the story or anything. It, it's, I'm, what I'm really excited for is to see if it can recapture that feeling and i think the music is going to be a key component of that and it will be fascinating to see if they can recapture that uh the the sparseness of it while at the same time moving things forward into hopefully a brighter future for hyrule hopefully maybe because this game is based on it's based in memory like that's hyrule is a memory at this point when you're running across Hyrule Field, you might see like ruins of a former settlement or, or a, a ranch, for example. They're memories, uh, fragments, and I think that's what this song does extraordinarily well. So nighttime can be, you know, a little bit spooky, that kind of thing, uh, and it can become a whole lot spookier when you uh, go into a forest, a beautiful forest, and that is going to be block number three. We're going to be taking a look at forests. Uh, and in this section, Caleb, you're going to have the first song, and why don't you introduce it? My song is Hanit the Hunter, uh, you know, the resident uh, forest dueller of Octopath Traveler. That is composed by Yasunori Nishiki. And uh, Patrick, you have the second song, and why don't you tell us, uh, what, tell us what the name is and uh, who composed it? This song is called Snowy, uh, from a little game you may have heard of called Undertale. Um, it's the forested background area before the very well-known Snowden Town theme. So it's basically a slower variant of that same song, composed by Toby Fox, arranged by David Peacock, and performed by Augustine Mayuga Gonzalez for the official Undertale Piano Collections, the first of the two. There is a second one. Absolutely lovely. So yeah, we're going to give these a listen, and we'll be back with some thoughts. So stick around.
So I picked this song for a pretty basic reason. I'm obsessed with Octopath and the soundtrack and knew I wanted a piano piece from that. It's a very legitimate reason to put a song. <laughs> so after, you know, after listening to the whole soundtrack to decide my favorite piano piece, I decided on this one. First, because I love character themes and just because it, you know, it captures all the things that I love in Xanark and in a different game and a different story. You know, as, as the piece opens, it's sort of this, you know, simple, serious, somber progression. And, you know, and that evokes Hanit as a character. You know, anyone who's played the game, she speaks in old English. She's very serious and proper about everything. But then, you know, I think what I love about it is that as it, the song goes on, it sort of swells and you get this feeling of, uh, of sort of love and joy which, you know, isn't necessarily, you know, easy to tie directly to Hanit, but if you think about her story, when we're first introduced to it, the basic premise of her story is that she's saving her master who's gone missing, and she ultimately finds out he's been, you know, attacked by a beast. And when we're first introduced to her dynamic with her master, it's sort of begrudging. He's, you know, he's a bit of a burden on her. She makes a lot of jokes about how much of a pain this is for her. Uh, and then as the story moves on, just like in the song, you sort of get that feeling where there is more of a connection here. She's not doing this for no reason. This is a labor of love. This is her father figure. So you feel that come in and it's it's not a, it's not a, a smooth transition either. You know, kind of just like in the song where there's, I don't, I don't know what you call that, but where the notes are almost halting and they almost sound offbeat for a second before it smooths out again you kind of feel that in her journey as she you know learns to accept you know that she loves him that she's looking for him because she she misses him and she's not doing it just you know to do her her duty as a student i can just listen to the song on repeat <laughs> there's also another super spoilery thing that i don't know if i can really talk about but I'll leave it at that. I think Octopath Traveler is a few years old. If you did want to mention a spoiler, I have no problem with that. Okay. Skip ahead 30 seconds if you have not paid late it and you wish to avoid spoilers. Fair enough. So I might be overthinking this, but the final boss of her section is Red Eye, who himself is sort of this representation of tragic love, which you can hear in the song, because his story, if you play the post-game, is that he was tricked by this sort of dark mage into selling his soul because he was trying to bring his wife back to life. And you don't know any of this when you're fighting this monster as Hanit, but it's just such a beautiful thing that it all comes back to that sort of swell that you hear in the song. Is that Graham Crossford? Who was it that became Red Eye? Yeah, it, it was something like that. It was It was the old apothecary. I can't remember his exact name. Yeah, people that don't think the stories tie together didn't finish the game. Yeah, to be fair, they don't tie together until the post game, <laughs> which is a little yeah, a, right. a lot so of work. You, <laughs> yeah, well, don't claim the game doesn't tie if you haven't played the game. Oh, shots fired! <laughs> shots are fired. This is uh, I have I have very complicated feelings about Octopath Traveler. I was expecting forty percent more Final Fantasy. I got sixty percent more Saga. So. <laughs> No wonder I like it so much more than you, Jonna. <laughs> uh, you won't get any arguments from me about the quality of the soundtrack, though. Or the quality of soundtracks in Saga games. Well said. I. Uh, it's interesting you said that about Red Eye, because I actually never thought of that. Because my first note is, I gotta be honest, that I don't know how well this song matches with Hanit's character. Um, the first, Whenever I listen to it, I just I, I, I don't connect it to her in any way. 
it starts in a minor key. It's a little bit melancholy. Um, and then there's a modulation that goes to a major key and a change in uh, time signature, which makes gives it a much more positive tone. I, I guess that I was, every time I listen to it, I feel like it fits more with the forest, which is kind of one of the reasons I put it in this section, rather than the character. Like you're winding through a dark forest and then maybe you come upon a clearing, that kind of thing. But now that you mentioned Red Eye, that makes a little bit more sense to me. Um, unfortunately, 90% of people who play the game probably aren't going to discover that because the ending is the ending. The, the end game is uh, work. Work is, yes, it is a lot of work. I like how that sounds, work. Um, yeah, but I mean, if you ignore, for me, if you ignore the character piece, the song itself is stunningly gorgeous. It's a beautiful piano piece. It moves, it goes places. Uh, it, I feel like it evokes a sense of place rather than evoking a character, though. But that's that's the only criticism I have of it. Can I jump in? Please. Uh, I'm going to start by saying, um, and I may have said this on another podcast episode, but Yasunori Nishiki is um, a treasure. He's young, and I can't wait to hear him do lots and lots and lots of more music. Um, if you even just read the liner notes in the OST or the other Octopath Traveler albums that have all been translated to English, thank you Square Enix Music for doing uh, Japanese and English liner notes now, um, Nishiki is clearly like one of us like he grew up playing the games that we played and uh like he gets it and so he's taking it to the next level by being like okay this is what we would expect and this is what we would get and i'm gonna give you that but i'm also gonna like put some meta spin on it and really be thoughtful about it and like the way he thinks about and writes about his own work um has me very excited about what he's going to be doing in the future because there's no question in my mind he's a freaking genius. I feel like the music of this game does exactly what the graphics of this game does, which is it it evokes what came before the SNES era of RPGs while moving it forward. It sounds like you remember it. It looks like you remember it, but it's not. It's 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 pushing it forward. Yeah, which is the genius of the game. Um, for me, the genius of this theme song, and I, I'm not going to disagree with you that it, it would it would work perfectly well as an environmental theme. And of course, when you play a character theme, you often play it during dialogue, but if you're talking, you have to be talking somewhere, and where is Hana talking? Well, a town or a forest, and the town is usually in a forest, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, it really it really does uh, call it memories of the forest, um, but I do think it serves well as a character theme in the sense that your part A, like you said, it's in a minor key, and um, and then the part B is is more joyful. And I think Caleb used the word love. I think it reveals the sort of duality to Hanit's characterization and Hanit's motivation for pursuing what she's pursuing, which is trying to rescue her master. Um, your part A or external uh, motivation is duty, right? She's being dutiful. It's an obligation. My master's in trouble. I need to go find my master. The guy even asks for help, I think, in a note. But to do it not out of duty, but out of uh, gratitude and because you feel a deep concern for someone and there's sort of this inner emotion behind that. And that's the change to major, the time signature change, all that. I feel like there's sort of this outer inner duality to who Hana is. And Hana's sort of more inner or softer side is, is only, in the dialogue, it's only very briefly sort of revealed most of the time she does keep the stoic exterior to her um but i think the part b is just hinting at the fact that she's not all stoic 
that's my take. Pete, how do you feel about it? I've not played Octopath Traveler, so I don't have the insight um, with the character or the context of the game. But I love where it goes. It, it um, I mean, it's been mentioned before a couple times, but the minor to major shift, I'm always a sucker for. The way that it swells is really nice, and it, it warms up. And uh, it is... I don't know, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful as background music. It's, I'm sure it's great in the context it's found. Um, and just the, the the melody is really nice and uh, has some little unexpected bits as well. So it's, it's really beautiful. And, you know, Octopath Traveler is on my list, so I should get on that and get that context. But uh, but it's really nice uh, without the context as well. Yeah, I agree. The, the music of Octopath Traveler is exceptional in a way that I think few other soundtracks have been. And that's, there's a, there's been a lot of good soundtracks, but this one really stands out to me. Um, yeah, but I mean, if we want to talk about soundtracks that stand out, I don't think that we need to go any further than Undertale. Uh, and this song, Snowy, it is, uh, it, it's a forest theme. And Patrick, it's your tune. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your thoughts? Yeah, so I think uh, anyone who's done even the smallest bit of looking into Undertale if they haven't played it for themselves. And if you haven't, what's wrong with you? I'm working on it. Toby Fox is a genius. Um, the vast majority of the game is made by him. Uh, the story, the planning, the writing, um, everything except a lot of the pixel art and animation um, was brought together by other teams. But then also the entire soundtrack, over a hundred songs, um, you know, a lot of people, I think, know at least some key Undertale music. It's become very like meme friendly and TikTok friendly, and um, you know, God bless it for being that. Um, I'm a sucker for the more serious moments. Um, for example, like Heartache, which is the battle theme with Toriel, is one of my favorite songs. And there's also a great piano version of that that I almost used. But I decided to do Snowy, which, um, as I mentioned earlier, is music that plays outside of Snowden Town. It's the same melody, it's just slower and uh, a little more ephemeral, ethereal. Um, so it's almost like if there's a party going on in Snowden Town, you're hearing it from a distance, but you're still in the woods and you don't even know when you're first playing the game that that's what you're going to be coming up across. And um, so the piano arrangement, uh, and this is for the official Undertale Piano Collection, which was published by Materia Collective. Um, and has a sheet music book, both digital or physical. I highly recommend people get it. This is the only song I'm capable of playing off of this because they are very hard arrangements. Uh, thank you, David Peacock. Mm -hmm. uh, but Snowy is one that I was able to wrap my fingers around. Um, it's 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 as much fun to play as it is to listen to. It's a very it's a very beautiful song that's um, sort of playing in this modal space between major and minor. Um, sort of like if people know like Dorian mode, like that's where it's it's tending to play around um, as far as scales go and tonality goes. Um, David Peacock's arrangement is definitely of a more uh, impressionist variety like Debussy or Ravel. And uh, the performer, Augustine Mayuga Gonzalez, who uh, returns and also performs on the second um, Undertale album. And I think also the Hollow Knight piano collection which is very good makes me wish it was an rpg so we could do a rhythm episode on it honest to god yes i agree but uh yeah um david peacock and augustine gonzalez are uh, together they are a force to be reckoned with uh 
The whole album is amazing, but Snowy is the uh, softest and most haunting piece of it. It stays very, like, like I, I used this term earlier, like vanilla and transcription-y at first, but after about a minute, uh, David Peacock does some things that the original song just does not do at all, and it gets into some really uh, interesting territory. I mean, it really is, um, like, a, a very, like, full-bodied arrangement, Um it's a lot of fun to listen to. Um, it's a great piece to, you know, listen to while you're doing homework or reading or just sort of chilling out. Um, but yeah, when it comes to snowy forest environmental music, like taking the Snowden Town theme and just going, well, let's just slow it down, make it a little more eerie. It's kind of like uh, ticking the field theme, and well, it's nighttime now, mm. right? <laughs> it's it's kind of that sort of shift with the theme, and it it works very well in my opinion. Undertale is a game that's been on my backlog forever, and I've made the decision that it's going to be the next game on my backlog. Now that I finished Metroid Dread earlier tonight, I think I'm going to start up Undertale. Oh, congrats. Yeah, I'm really excited to try it because I've heard, I mean, it's Undertale, um, but I don't know anything about it because I've been trying so hard for years to remain unspoiled, and I have, for the most part, remained unspoiled. But what I do know is that, yeah, there are some traditional RPG mechanics, but there are a few things that are a little off-kilter about it in places. Um, and I feel like I don't know the game, but I feel like that could be reflected in the song slightly. Because when it starts out, it gave me the mental image of snow falling in the forest. Uh, a pretty traditional RPG winter forest music, that kind of thing. Like, it's not something that struck me as particularly strange. It was beautiful, but it didn't seem strange. But then at about 110 when uh, instead of going back up to the D, it goes to the C uh, sharp. Mm -hmm. It added this note of incredible dissonance that just made me go, wait, something is wrong. Something is different. Something is, something is a little off about this. And it caught me in a way I wasn't expecting. And I'm, I'm kind of hoping that the game does the exact same thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> from what I've heard, it will. But then I, when I kept listening to it, the thing that really, it... it this might just be my background, and I can't give you a specific example of it, but at about 140, when it start when the song starts to resolve and starts to get towards the ending, it reminded me so much of a Sondheim piece of Stephen Sondheim. I don't know why, but there was something about the music, there was something about the way it played. It reminded me of the end of a piece like in Sunday in the Park with George or something like that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it was it just it it, it knocked me on my ass. Uh, because I mean, I'm music theater. I, you know, we worship at the altar of Sondheim and the fact that there was something that evoked that feeling for me just made me go, Oh yeah, there's a game I need to play. And I will. Well, I mentioned, I mentioned the term impressionism before and, and, uh, and Toby Fox definitely has that in his repertoire, just in the composition, though. I think Dave Peacock brought it out more in this arrangement. And I think Stephen Sondheim, um, more than more than anyone major in the world of you know modern theater broadway theater he introduced impressionism into um this sort of musical theater vocabulary um which was a it was a dangerous move but i mean gosh just listen to into the woods the payoff is huge <laughs> yep into the woods listen to Sweeney todd like anything he's done even his good. pastiche of past works that sound a little bit more traditional like assassins still does incredible things Anyway, this is not a Sondheim, uh, I mean, 
I, if I could get away with doing a Sondheim episode of Rhythm Encounter, I would, but I can't. So, uh, Pete and Caleb, what do you think about this piece? Have either of you played Undertale? I've not, but Snowy is my favorite kind of music. It's beautiful, the snow falls, and you hear it in the piano. I wish I had more to say, but it's absolutely lovely. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I I have uh, played the whole game through. Um, and I don't have too much to add other than... You know, when I think of Toby Fox songs or Toby Fox arrangements, I think of, you know, his more bombastic pieces like Megalovania and stuff like that. The big boss battle themes that everyone knows. Exactly. Where, like, your mind, your brain is melting, things like that. Um, and Undertale is just filled to the brim with those in-your-face, really dynamic, crazy songs. Um, so I think on top of being just a beautiful song in its own right. Snowy sort of sets itself apart um, because it's this sort of early game song before some of the insanity sets in. And so it's, it's tonally just so different from a lot of the rest of the soundtrack, which I think makes it even more special. I think it's a gorgeous piece. I mean, I, it, it's, I, it does so much and I haven't even played the game and I'm very excited to uh, see how it performs in the game. I'm excited to hear your reactions after you play the game. I have to get on Deltarune myself. That's another reason why I was looking at Undertale. I was like, okay, yeah, this this seems like a good time to jump on. Yeah, I'm behind. I have to play Chapter 1 first. So we're both behind, John. You're just a little further. Uh, I'll catch up. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there together. I also have to play Metroid Dread tonight. It's so, so good. Oh, it's so good. I'm psyched. I'm psyched. Okay, well... Uh... Let's move on to our last block. So we've had a bunch of town themes, forest themes. We've had night themes. So in that spirit, I've named block four Square Enix Flexing. I, I'm slightly biased, but there are a few people that do, that do like piano arrangement albums like Square Enix. They Some of them, I mean, Patrick, you would know better than anybody. So we've, we've picked two songs. They have two songs here that I feel exemplify uh, the best of what Square Enix can do with piano. Uh, so why don't you introduce our first song? I've pulled Crystal Cave, um, which is music from Final Fantasy 3, off of the album Piano Opera Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 3. Um, this is arranged and performed by Hiroyuki Nakayama, of course, being Final Fantasy 3. It's composed by Nobuo Oematsu. Yes, and I have picked Chrono Trigger Piano Duo Version. Uh, it's composed by Yasunori Masuda, and it is arranged by Takuro Iga, and it is probably my favorite this might be my favorite piece of piano video game music i've ever heard so i am super excited to talk about these and we will be back in just a second so please enjoy these tunes Thank you. 
I'd like to start by just acknowledging not only was Crystal Cave such a good piece to choose to arrange and perform for piano, but I just want to acknowledge how happy I am that piano arrangements for Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 3 even exist. When I was a wee lad, um, the first piano collection um, of any notoriety for any game music, as far as we know, was for Final Fantasy 4. Um, it was a big hard book sheet music thing, and then the CD uh, was placed inside the front cover and covered in a little layer of thin plastic. Um, and so 4, 5, and 6 were released that way. And 1, 2, and 3 never had anything, and it really seemed like they never would. And then one day, Nobuo Oematsu announced, hey, guess what? My friend Hiroyuki Nakayama, who had been doing these albums, these albums called Piacom, which was Piano plus Famicom, so it was just piano arrangements of Famicom games, and he had actually done an FF2 arranged track and an FF3 arranged track on those albums. Um, he said, we're going to do one just for Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 3, and it was going to be Piano Opera 1, 2, 3. Nakayama would go on to do piano operas for five, for four, five, six, and seven, eight, nine. For the record, all three albums are incredible. They, they are really good. Uh, for my money, they're not as interesting just because previous arrangements existed and they were already quite good. And for some reason, Nakayama really didn't care about whether or not he double dipped on arranging songs that had already been arranged. So I guess that like he wasn't looking to expand; he was just looking to do what he wanted to do and that's fine uh but one two one two three piano opera is is a very unique beast there's this is the only arrangements you're going to find of uh final fantasy one two and three piano music at least officially and um the stuff from three for me just takes the cake um crystal cave um the world map music um eternal wind um, those two are like the best thing on piano opera and Crystal Cave is also one of the few that I can actually play from this set and I probably committed like a month of my piano playing life into just this song because I love it so much it has that whole tenth thing where you're doing your melody is repeated in a in a minor third but you do it like an octave uh, separated so you get you either get a sixth or you get a tenth um, and you just do a lot of that and then when the melody breaks in and you're doing that um the whole roland tondo thing with your with your hand so like it's like g d c and it's just rolling the whole time Mm. that will take it out of you and hiroyuki nakayama is um an incredible performer he was definitely the man for the job for this album. I would pay him to do a piano opera romancing saga one, two, three. Uh, I swear he would do great. Um, I just don't know if he has any affinity with Kenji Ito. But yeah, Crystal Cave is the opening. Like, it's the first thing you hear when you start FF3. You fall into a cave. That's the beginning of the game. You just fall into a cave. You're like, what? We're in a cave. Uh, and this is the music for that cave. So yeah, I just have a lot of happy memories of this song i think it it's an important piece of the final fantasy music history it's an important piece of music for like recognizing the contribution of piano arrangements to vgm so for me there was just a lot that was so significant to this piece specifically i i had to include it i think that you made the right choice i think that what this song does in the game is remarkable i mean it's not it final fantasy 3 
jeez, it might be a record. It throws you right into the moment of peril. Like the inciting incident is not like there's airships flying across the sky or there's a there's a city on the horizon and you're in mech suits. You fall into a cave and you hit the ground and all of a sudden this like foreboding music starts playing. And I mean, on the NES, it also sounded it, it was it was almost I feel like the they use the sound chip to the best to its best effect. Yeah, the Famicom sound chip was being pushed to its limit with this track. Absolutely. It really, really was. But it's not just, it doesn't just hit you with this feeling of peril because there's also this sense of wonder and grandeur, like magic uh, surrounding it. The bridge of the song, the uh, it reminds me of some of the best Final Fantasy cave themes that are to come. This is exactly what I would expect from a piano arrangement of this song while also exceeding all of those expectations. Like, just nailed it. Yeah, I'm going to jump back in real quick and say, yeah, I, I think it really does set a standard for good early dungeon music. Like, um, Find Your Way from Final Fantasy VIII is a personal favorite. Another one that I love playing on piano. Um, the piano arrangement, that is great. And it actually uses a very similar um, modulation, the, like the start on the minor one, and then you go up to the minor four, and then you put a sharp on that fourth one, so you can either change it to major four, or it's like it's like a oh I can't even remember the name of it but like you're aug- you're augmenting like so if you were in A minor you go ACE then ACF then ACF sharp then back to ACF um, that pattern is like an Uematsu like tried and true thing to do in dungeons and as far as I know uh, the earliest time that he ever does it is in Crystal Cave and he goes on to do it in almost every Final Fantasy after that so that's another reason like from a game or music theory standpoint, like this song is very important. Yeah, I'm I'm actually super pumped to play. Uh, I bought the I bought the remastered collection, so and I, I played through some of Final Fantasy IV. I haven't started Final Fantasy III yet, but I'm very excited to play it because that's the one Final Fantasy game I I didn't even play the translation. I played the DS version, but I've never played the original, and this is the first time I've gotten to play it. So yeah, uh, I, I think it's I, I I think it's a great cover. So let's let's talk about uh, let's see uh, Pete. How are you doing with Final Fantasy III? I love how different it's, it seems to start from the NES original. The NES original is iconic in like head and shoulders. I mean, NES music is great. <clears throat> I love so this. I love the music in so many NES games, but this one here, as far as going beyond like blues rock or prog rock and actually putting you in a place, it does it just about um, better than most other NES games I can think of. And this piano arrangement starts off really, from my layman's perspective, really kind of kind of messing with it, tooling around with it. It's kind of wispy at first. It's not getting there. It's not stating the melody right away. Yeah, you know, when you're engineering, a, when your sound engineer is doing a music on the NES, it's hard to get it to not be just like a linear tempo, you know? Um, whereas piano music, that's like the thing is the tempo always breathes. And then, and then this one is built right into the composition, into the arrangement itself. And then it picks up and sounds a bit more familiar. It's, but it's, yeah, it's outstanding. Yeah. Caleb, how do you feel about it? Yeah. Um, I mentioned when we were talking about Xanark and about how nostalgic it makes me and Final Fantasy three is actually my second RPG probably. Cause I finished Final Fantasy 10 and I was like, Oh, that was incredible. So I went to the store and bought the first thing that had Final Fantasy on it, uh, which happened to be the DS version. Uh, a lot of what I was thinking, it's already been said, but um, kind of going back to that 
that idea that Jono mentioned where this is the first dungeon you just you literally fall in a hole um but as someone where this who was still figuring out kind of like how much i loved rpgs i i still remember this sense of being transported to a new world after you fell through that hole and you can kind of feel that in them in the music it's it 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 has a sinister sense of being transported to a new world you know almost like you're being followed in the shadows but but that that feeling of transportation is still there and i think that's my favorite thing about the song it's an incredible song and i think it's an incredible arrangement of an incredible song yeah i think it really is one of the strongest songs i mean the ost for ff3 has 40 plus really good songs and then a bunch of jingles and i wish there could be a whole album of piano arrangement music just for ff3 it is longer than one and two combined in terms of just strict composition, I think. Uh, someone can fact check me on that, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. So, like, it's it's great music, but Crystal Cave... For me, Crystal Cave, Eternal Wind, and Boundless Ocean. So, dungeon, field, and, you know, you're sailing on the seas. Those three are, like, top-notch, incredible songs. Uh, great piano arrangements all around for them, but Crystal Cave is what did it for me. I think it's just... It's just so powerful. It sets the tone for the game. Yeah. Another song that sets the tone for a game is Chrono Trigger, which makes sense because it's, you know, the title of the actual game. Uh, I think that everyone has very fond memories who have played Chrono Trigger as a kid or even as an adult of getting this, like, almost movie trailer-esque highlight reel of the game that plays after the opening credits. Uh, It's iconic. It's amazing. And the music that plays over it is just amazing it's chrono trigger uh it might be one of my favorite pieces of video game music ever both because i think it's a genius little piece of music but also because of my memories with it and this version of it might be my favorite rendition of it um it starts out with a fairly standard uh straightforward piano duo version of the chrono trigger theme which is wonderful it's but it's it's identifiable it's it sounds like chrono trigger but it's exactly what you would expect there's no surprises there. It just sounds like a really, really great version. I don't think it really, I don't really think it prepares you for the level of insanity that's about to happen. So then the they finish the the theme, and then the middle part starts up, and I don't, um, I cannot imagine that it's improv. It's improv. I cannot imagine it's improv, but it sounds very improvisational. The two pianists are bouncing off each other. They're having fun. They're playing off each other. It feels like improv to me. The notes are completely different. Like at no point in this particular section are they, uh, they're using a lot of the same chords, but it, it's, it's very, very different, but it's still identifiable as the theme from Chrono Trigger. It's just this beautiful little piece of madness in the middle. And then it just stops. It just stops. And then a very slow, very beautiful and very simple rendition of the theme comes in and it's quiet, and it's calm, especially after all of the chaos that just happened. And uh, then they start playing the theme from Chrono Trigger, like, jacked up to 11. It's the, like, it's, I don't want to say cinematic, but it is. Like, all of a sudden, it's like Chrono Trigger in widescreen. It's two people going absolutely mad on piano, and you could feel, this is the kind of music that would be playing as uh, they're flying through the sky, about to land a strike on Lavos in 1999 like busting through the core it's just astounding and i I have to say that if your heart doesn't start pumping faster when it reaches uh i think five minutes and 21 seconds then you should probably get your heart checked because there's something wrong because this song 
just drives it forward to the end in a way that is genuinely awe-inspiring, for me anyway. Pete, what was your reaction upon hearing this? My reaction is we gotta take those pianos to the hospital. These guys... These guys are showing off. <laughs> maybe the pianos, maybe their hands to the pa- hospital at this maybe point. Maybe so. Yeah, maybe the piano won that fight. But it's a celebration of the Chrono Trigger theme. I mean, it, it reminded me, I mean, any, I guess anytime I hear anything related to Chrono Trigger, it kind of triggers these memories. But um, I was like, I was playing this game as a kid and we had a cool computer lab teacher who just I told him about uh, something and then from what I told him I'm trying to be as vague as possible he started putting a whole bunch of emulators on the computers in the computer lab so when we were done we could play like Super Nintendo games or Master System games or whatever what a cool teacher yeah he was a cool teacher and so I before that happened I was playing Chrono Trigger at home uh, via one method or another and sometimes at school I, I was like in, I was like in fourth grade I um, would hum this opening theme <laughs> or something. And on more than one occasion, I was uh, it w- I was overheard. I try to keep it discreet, but I'm a kid, right? And some jerks who later became my friends, you know, one of those kinds of things were like, you're such a nerd. What is that from a video game? And I'm like, yeah, actually, it's from a video game. <laughs> yes, it's from the best video game. <laughs> from the best one, actually. Uh, then the because this teacher put emulators on in the computer lab and these kids one in particular was like oh this chrono trigger thing and started playing it at the computer lab he was like you know chrono trigger is pretty good (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah i mean that as a kid the opening theme like just was drilled into my brain and this is a really big uh explosive version of that when it stops and slows way down, I know this is a celebration of this thing, and this isn't a criticism, but just in my head, I halfway expected the, a distant promise to, like a motif from a distant promise to overlay it or something, which is the theme of the princess character whose name I won't say out loud because no one knows how to pronounce her name, and I don't, you know, no matter how you pronounce it, you're wrong, I guess. But that's the theme where you find her in 600 AD. And it turns out she's not the queen, she's the girl, but she went back in time and was mistaken for the queen and she's going to disappear because the queen's still missing, etc. And that's the song that plays. And I was kind of like, hmm, could that song have gone in there? Whatever. It's great. Real quick, the first orchestral arrangement of any Chrono Trigger thing ever is on Orchestral Game Concert Volume 5, the last of the five-volume series, and it's the last track. And... That's exactly what that orchestral arrangement is. It's the main theme, stop, distant promise, and then return to main theme. So I, maybe Takaro Iga knew of that and just went, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you don't want to be all samey-samey. I'll, I'll go listen to that one. Granted, that was that's from like 96, so it's it's a while back. But that is the first bit of any orchestral music of Chrono Trigger. It's an old album. Not too hard to find compared to the first four in the series, though. Well, that's a game full of just amazing music, so, you know. It very much is. Uh, Caleb, what do you think about this particular arrangement? So, you guys are going to shame me a little bit, 
but I have not played Chrono Trigger. I'm not going to shame you. No, you, you. can that shame me a like... little bit. <laughs> no, Caleb, that, no, listen, dude, it's an opportunity to play it for the first time. You're the we're lucky all, one. Yeah, True. We're all jealous of you. None of us can play it for the first time again, but you still have this chance. There's no shame, and you're actually not the only person on the site who has not played Chrono Trigger, so... No, really. Yep, there are uh, there are a select few. Um, Audra played it, actually, uh, for the first time a couple of months ago, and That's true. gave us a retro review, and she adored it. Well, I was too busy in recent months playing, you know, more important classics like Wild Arms 2, you know, the the cream of the crop. <laughs> that's a good game. It's an awful localization. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's all just to say that I don't have too much insight. Um, I, I, I guess I'll just keep it short and say that I love the beginning. Um, I like it makes me like, kind of like viscerally imagine like a hero cutting through the chaos as like the insane piano riff at the beginning like sort of cuts into the uh, a little more reasonable progression but i don't know i just think it's a very fun imagery that they evoked so powerfully with just with the song dude you're right i mean they i mean the opening scene shows chrono doing critical hit animations well, there you go that's exactly <laughs> what it sounds like <laughs> epoch through the air and they're all over all different you know, periods of time throughout history. And Patrick, I have an odd feeling that you are probably bursting right now, wanting to talk about this particular arrangement. Why don't you tell us what you think? Yeah, there's so much to be said, and there's so much to love about this arrangement. First, though, I do want to mention something that's worth hating. This, if anyone wants to find this particular track and have legal access to it, uh, it's pretty difficult. Um, it was on a special third disc of the Chrono Orchestra arrangement box. Disc one was Chrono Trigger Orchestra, disc two was Chrono Cross Orchestra, and disc three was just four little hand-selected fun arrangements that only people who bought the box set could have. It's not available. 25 minute album. Yep, 25 minute disc. It does not exist in a digital equivalent. Uh, you, you know, you can't find it on Spotify. You can't buy it on Apple Music or anything like that. Um, you literally, at this point, if you want to hear it for in legal ways, you'd have to buy a, a pretty rare box set. Um, it's not that old, but it's out of stock, so you'd have to pay secondhand up upmarked prices, um, probably in the $100 range. So that's kind of a pain in the butt. Um, for something so good to be kept hidden away is, you know, it's kind of like... Um, don't hide your light under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Uh, this music deserves to shine. Um, they should be promoting the crap out of this. It's so good. Yeah. All of them are. Yeah, all the tracks on this third disc are really cool. But um, and, I, and I mentioned this in the break, but some people hear this phrase and they're like, what's wrong with these people who name the track? Why are they calling it Piano Duo? Isn't it called a duet? Uh, technical jargon that I've found a lot of people don't know. A duet is when two people are sitting at one piano. So four hands on one piano. What you hear in this track, literally, it's it would be physically impossible to do on one piano because there's too much overlapping notes, which means overlapping hands. The same note needs to be struck literally twice at different times. So problem. You need two pianos. So when you play on two separate pianos, it's called a duo, not a duet. Yeah. Heart and souls, this ain't. Yeah, exactly. So you, uh, you know, I hope everyone listening got their little music lesson today from that. So the piano duo version of Chrono Trigger arranged by Takoro Iga, who, if you look up his name, uh, did also did uh, duet and duo arrangements on the Final Fantasy XI 
piano album. Maybe both of them. There's two of them, and one of them is also buried in a box set. So that's maybe that's just what Takaru Yuga does. He hunts down rare box set stuff and says, "Put me on this." Um, <laughs> <laughs> but this this piano duo thing. I, I mean, what you laid out, uh, Jana, was was a perfect verbal tour of of what we do here. I do think the best part of it is the end. I think everything you're hearing up for me, everything you're hearing up till then is just setting you up for the most, you know, blast your face off, ridiculous ending. And and we talked about taking the pianos uh, to the hospital, but um, yeah, if you're one of the two performers, uh, your hands are basically on fire at the end of this. Take the pianos to the hospital, take the hands to the hospital, take the song to the hospital. Yeah, the whole the whole thing's going to be on life support by the end because it's you are using up all of your resources to keep it going. Um, they 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 take the tempo up. Almost all of the melodic stuff is being hit on octaves instead of single notes. So that means they're using their thumb and uh, fourth finger or thumb and pinky, um, just in like quick succession um it's actually insane if i listen to it too much if i listen to it like three or more times in a row i get a headache um which isn't a bad (laughs) thing it just means that you know it's like a good dessert just one buddy uh (laughs) you know there's so much happening in yeah yeah and really just that that last minute everything up until then is just like fun and worth it and then the end is the payoff it's it's so good i i I hate to say what i want to compare it to in my head but um can you edit this out if it's wrong yeah this it makes me think of sex all right i'm done <laughs> i mean i think that's a subjective uh comparison that's a subjective understanding of sex <laughs> yes I, it's I not I, a subjective understanding of the song though <laughs> i just uh, yeah we're gonna give the we're gonna give the rhythm encounter uh disclaimer your mileage may vary <laughs> i'm not i'm not saying it does that to me i'm just saying hey i don't know maybe our listeners lit up a cigarette after they finished listening to the last block who knows it's true it's true i don't want to judge anyone if that's what if that's what it does for you that's what it does well i can't think of a single thing i could possibly say to top that so uh (laughs) i just i really want to thank everyone for coming on uh the episode it was a really really lovely lovely time i think that the songs that were chosen were just well they were beautiful they were heartwarming, they were tragic, and I, I think that some of the insights that um, you three uh, brought forward really made me think about them in a different way, and I appreciate that a lot. And hopefully the audience does as well. Indeed. Um, before we like super sign out, can I talk about, real quick, two albums that recently came out? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. So I'm actually working on two reviews right now, and I didn't pull any music for this episode because I haven't given it enough time to listen yet, but... Two albums that came out in the last year, two of the newest of the Square Enix uh, piano albums out there. One is Across the Worlds, the Chrono Cross Piano Collection. Actually, it was a Kickstarter campaign uh, published by Wayo Records, which is a European label, um, arranged by Masashi Hamutsu. He of uh, Final Fantasy X and Final Fantasy XIII. He's very impressionist. Uh, and Benjamin Nuss uh, is the... Uh, performer on it. Um, So that's a really good one. And then I also have the Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles piano collection that I'm working on reviewing, which is uh, self-arranged by composer Kumi Tanioka and presumably exists because they did that that reboot of it and they did a remastered OST. Uh, I think the reboot was for Switch, like Mm -hmm. exclusively. Yeah. And so that that piano collection kind of came out of nowhere. I wasn't I wasn't expecting it at all. There's actually some 
not duet, but duo tracks on that as well. So I wasn't able to slip it into this episode because I didn't feel comfortable talking about the music without having really digested it yet. But those are two reviews for fans on the site to look out for. And because they're relatively new releases, maybe pick them up if you like to collect physical copies, pick them up before they're all gone. Even though Chrono Cross was a Kickstarter one, I do think they're selling it digitally and maybe selling CD or vinyl as well. So uh, definitely worth looking at that at Wayo Records Shop and then Square Enix published the FF Crystal Chronicles album. So two great, I mean, and that's just this year and that's just Square Enix. Like if you want to find good piano uh, game music, there's stuff coming out all the time. There's, I mean, we touched way less than 1% of what's out there. Yeah. There's just a ton. So I just wanted to put that in. Thanks. My pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, So yeah, there's lots to look forward to there too. And actually there's lots to look forward to with Rhythm Encounter. We are back in full every second Monday, alternating with Random Encounter. And in two weeks from now, we are going to have an episode called Press Start, which is going to be a collection of title theme music. And uh, after that, we are going to be doing one on game music concerts. And I'm actually, I I think I'm going to be on that one. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, But in terms of stuff that's already released, the last episode was our Final Fantasy XIV episode. You've heard everyone on all of our podcasts rave about Final Fantasy XIV and rave about its music. This is a good opportunity to give it a listen and uh, hear what you've been missing if you have not started playing it like me. Uh, And it actually ends with my all-time favorite rhythm blooper of all time. I was so, so happy with the way this episode ended. We also have lots of random encounter coming up. Uh, Our last episode, which was last week, it was a deep, deep dive into the Tales series because we had a, uh, we had uh, So You Want to Get Into Tales. That feature came out a few weeks ago. So we decided to do an episode of random to talk about that and talk about Arise. And uh, yeah, so give that a listen. Um, If you would like some retro games and if you're listening to Rhythm Encounter, you probably probably do uh retro encounter they just finished a two-part game journal about persona 2 eternal punishment uh really really great stuff and uh hey if you love quiz shows if you're a jeopardy fan make sure you go back and give that a listen uh the the quiz show was uh, a few episodes ago and it's it's very very good it's very funny i was on it i will not say whether or not i won but it was a very good time And you also should not forget our sister podcast, Phoenix Edge. They cover the latest news uh, in RPGs, so give those guys a listen. So before we go to our bonus song, I just want to give everyone an opportunity to say where you can find them. So, uh, Caleb, where can our listeners find you online? Yeah, um, you guys can pretty much just find me on Twitter. Uh, I still have not posted anything, so maybe that can be a little challenge, get someone to Get me to post something. I'm literally about to just type his name and be like, Kayla, respond to this. No. <laughs> but then I'll fall into your trap by typing no. <laughs> uh, Patrick, where can we find you online? Much like Caleb, uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter, at Gameadactyl. Uh, unlike Caleb, I'm very active on there, and you can get a pretty good look into every aspect of my life, though I do talk about game music a great deal on there. And Pete, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at PeteBarbero1. You can find me on Twitch at RGHalfpenny if you want to watch a lot of Mech Warrior 5. Or, but I'm also playing some RPGs and I'm getting my retro setup going um, for that. Uh, but if you want to talk to me for some reason, 
why would you want to do that? But if you wanted to, you, I'd welcome it. And that's just on Twitter. I'm just there. Pete Barbero one. Cool. So uh, I just want to thank everyone for coming. Like I said, this was a great episode. Really pleased about how it turned out. But we are not done. We still have our bonus song. So please take it away, Patrick, into our bonus song. All right. We're going to be listening to a beautiful outro, a short track. Uh, and if you watched the Final Fantasy X-2 promotional materials when the game was still in its being made um this was a piece of music uh that i didn't even realize was an original piece of music because i thought it was the character shu yin playing uh some classical piece but no the song nightmare of a cave uh is actually written uh by the composers noriko matsueda and takahito eguchi um and it is track eight on the Final Fantasy X-2 Piano Collection. It's just over a minute long, and it will blow your socks off. Everyone enjoy this song, and we will see you again in two weeks. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Um, before we go on to the next block, I'm just gonna, um, I need to take care of something with my kid real quick. Thank you. If you, if you want to zip up. Yep. It's not like, uh, this isn't going to be showing up in the episode. Oh, it's some of it might, I might include Pete being a good dad, uh, as one of the outtakes. Oh, <laughs>